You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Alrighty. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, if you don't know who I am, is Richard, and it's great to be with you. And just like we've uh, had welcome from all over Canada, I can't help thinking be part of this Every Nation family and the time zone changes that our brothers and sisters and friends in Australia and Asia and Middle East and Africa and Europe, they've all been doing what we've been doing and it's now it's our turn, Canada, North America. And so our brothers and sisters in Hawaii will pick up the slack later this afternoon as they get up and worship and praise Jesus. And just amazing just to, to see how 2,000 plus years from when Jesus walked this earth that his church, for better or for worse, is still going and growing. Uh, in different parts of the world, in the different circumstances. And we get to be part of that uh, in this place and in this time. And so we're going to jump straight into today's message. We're in the second part of a series we started last week online, if you were with us, able to join with us online. And we're looking at some really inspirational but very challenging words Jesus gave to his original followers, and by default for those of us have chosen to follow him, it comes to us as well. And he said, you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And we're trying to understand what does that mean for us? How does that look? How would they have understood that? How should we understand that? And how should our lives line up with that? And so uh, we're looking at how to be an influence for good in our world. And gosh, does our world need some good in it? And so in a world full of bad news, what would be good news? You think about right now, if you turn on your TV, your phone, wherever you get your source of news from, just there's a lot of stuff going on, some really heavy stuff. And so what would be good news into a world that's really becoming overwhelmed with bad news on an international stage, a national stage, maybe in your world, maybe your world right now is, is full of more Worse off news than better news. And so what would be good news that would break in to your personal life and your world? And so the question I want to put before us today is, what comes to mind when you hear the word gospel? Now, for some, it's an adjective, right? Gospel music. Anyone enjoy gospel music here? Right? It's a style of music. Thank you for that person at the back there. I don't know what the rest of you are listening to. Uh, it's a choir, gospel choir. I've ever heard a gospel choir, and the harmonies are just incredible. Um, apparently, there's a scale of truth. There's lies, white lies, truth, and gospel truth. So apparently, there's a scale. So kids, take note when you have your parents ask you, tell me the truth. Which kind of where does the scale lie there? Um, maybe you were like me. Uh, you heard the gospel in this way some way, shape, or form when you were growing up from the earliest age, I can remember the gospel being presented to me kind of like this. Richard, you have a problem. You're sinful. You fall short of God's standard, and you're in danger of hell. But don't worry. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for your sins, that your sins could be forgiven. You could escape hell, and you could join him in heaven. Does that sound familiar to anyone? More or less that kind of line. Okay, I think a lot of us heard the gospel growing up or have heard the gospel being presented in that way. And so um, not to knock gospel presentations, it worked on me, uh, worked on some of you, but it's a woeful, inadequate way to describe 
what the gospel, the good news, certainly of Jesus and the early church was. And so gospel, I believe, is a word that is well known, but is known very uh, little, but not known well at all. And so what if our understanding, we're going to jump in today to some text here. What if our understanding of the gospel today may not be what uh, originally meant to Jesus and his original followers? What if we've reduced the gospel to such an extent that we've emptied it of its power and its relevance? to everyday life and what if you and I need a bigger gospel not a reduced gospel and so one of my favorite movies growing up it still remains a bit of a favorite it's a f- almost a 50 year old movie it was directed and produced by a person called Steven Spielberg before Steven Spielberg was anything to anyone in 1975 and it's the movie called Jaws anyone watched Jaws Right. For those of you who have no idea what that is, like who was even alive in 1975, let me indulge you a bit. Uh, the seaside resort of Amity in the northeastern part of America has to deal with the arrival of a killer great white shark named Aptly Jaws. And so Chief Brody, he's the chief of the summer town Amity, is tasked with trying to solve this problem. Why? Because Amity uh, survives and thrives on tourists. Right, It's a summer town, and so if you've got a great white shark, people are not really going to want to be coming and lying on the beach and swimming in your waters. And so he gets a guy, a shark hunter, Captain Quinn, and about halfway through the movie, about 50 minutes into the movie, they set out on Captain Quinn's boat because they need to hunt the shark and deal with the problem. And so there's a very famous scene and a very iconic line in the movie that comes from what takes place, and they've been out there hours, and so... Chief Brody begins to throw chum in the water, right? Begin to get something to attract the shark to come to the boat. And as he's doing this, he's not even paying attention. All of a sudden, the background, you just see Jaws emerge from the water and he gets a glimpse of Jaws as Jaws goes back into the water and he starts walking back slowly, like he's seen a ghost. And he says to Captain Ken, You're gonna need a bigger boat. You're gonna need a bigger boat. And it's an iconic line, do yourself a favor, snuggle up tonight and watch Jaws. Okay? You have to overcome all the bad graphics and everything like that, but it is a classic. Um, Chief Brody, when he saw the magnitude of the problem, he realized that it was inadequate what they had come out with. When you and I look at the world, when you look at your world, when you look at your life, when I talk with young people today and they come to university or college campus and there's so many different ideas being thrown at them and their faith gets challenged and exposed for the first time. I think the word to other Western churches, you're going to need a bigger gospel. You're going to need a gospel that's way bigger than maybe the reduced gospel you heard growing up. And the great news is that we have a massive gospel. So, gospel literally just means good news, right? It's an announcement uh, of good news like, hey, everyone got an extra hour of sleep today. That's good news. Hopefully, you took advantage of that. And so, for us to get a more robust, a more fuller understanding of this gospel, we're going to look at three gospels today from Scripture. We're going to look at the gospel of the early church, what they believed was the gospel. We're going to look at the gospel of Jesus. You know, Jesus preached the gospel. And then we're going to look at a gospel 700 years earlier than Jesus, 
from the book of Isaiah. And we're going to try to figure out what it is that this is all telling us about the good news for our lives today, here and now. So let's quickly look. I'm going to summarize a classic passage from Paul the Apostle. He's speaking to the Corinthian church. And, um, and he says it like this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By the gospel, you have been, you are saved. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and that's, and this is what you believed. And so this common consensus that this was the essential gospel message, that not, not just Paul, but a lot of the early disciples preached and believed throughout the first century and got a lot of people following Jesus. And he boils it down and says it like this. And it's very different from the reduced gospel that I heard. There's no mention of heaven. There's no mention of hell. There's no kind of mention of just it's your personal relationship of Jesus. It seems to be very much about Jesus and a significant weekend in the life of Jesus. So Easter weekend, the death and the resurrection, but then also um, his appearance to the earliest disciples. And so for the earliest Christians, the good news was centered around the cross. It was a gospel of salvation. This is the means by which you're saved through this act of Jesus Christ. And it became the core message of salvation throughout uh, the known world at that time. And this is what probably most of us associate when we come back to that question, what do you think of when you hear the gospel? You probably go to something of the cross. God loves us. He demonstrated for us. He died. We sang about it this morning, and that's beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what they're preaching here. But their good news of the cross was understood in a greater context that I think sometimes we may miss out on. And by understanding that context, they grab so much more richness from what that event actually meant, not just for them, but the entire world. And so when Paul the Apostle says, according to the scriptures, it's shorthand for saying the bigger context or what we talked about last week, the grand story. There's a bigger story going on that scripture's telling. And it's in that context that we're to understand what the good news of Jesus is then. And then obviously the implications for us now. And if you weren't with us last week, we basically summarized a very complex story, the long story of Scripture, 66 books, a lot of chapters, a lot of verses, a lot of stuff going on there, written by different authors, different scenes, different times of history. And we basically said, but it's telling one really coherent, compelling story. And we broke it down like a drama. Like there's a beginning, there's an end, and there's a conflict and a resolution in between. And we looked and we said, if, if the, if, if scripture was like a drama, we could break it down in seven acts. And we looked at the seven acts. We looked at creation and fall and Israel's story and Christ comes on the scene and then the church. And then what we're looking towards is, is judgment and then new creation. And so in the words of Paul, what he's saying is this is the gospel of salvation. The gospel of the cross is as a result of the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus finds its resolution in the story of Israel, which finds its resolution in this grand story that God's been about ever since he created the world. And it's not just the story of God. It's actually the story of you and I. It's the story of our world. 
It answers the fundamental questions of our hearts, of collectively society's hearts. Where do we come from? What's our purpose? What value do we have as human beings? What differentiates us from animals? What's wrong with this world? What will fix it? And gosh, where is the future heading? And so the story of Scripture, I believe, presents very compelling and a coherent answers to those questions. And so the good news, the gospel, intersects God's story with your story. That's the great thing about it, is even in the bigness of the story, God has you and I in mind. And so that was the gospel of the early church. We could say it's the gospel of the cross. It's good news about the cross. There's something about what Jesus did on that cross that's so significant. It literally changed the world upside down in their time and is still doing it today. But they understood the gospel of the cross in its context. And it's in the context of Israel's story. And so I want to go back, way back before we hear about Jesus' gospel. He's going to kind of bring this all together for us, hopefully. And we're going to hear the gospel from Isaiah. And it's in chapter 52. And uh, he reads, he's, uh, he says, not to give you the context of this verse. So maybe don't put the verse up because everyone's going to be looking at that. Here's the context of this verse, right? In the nation of Israel, they were taken captivity into exile by one of the dominant empires of that time, a ruthless empire called the Babylonian Empire. Now, to feel the significance of this, it would be like people coming into your home, taking you, your family, and marching you off to a foreign land to give you different names, different food, different culture, different gods, re-educate you, re-educate your sons and your daughters, tell you your God is dead, it doesn't exist, we've sacked the temple, he no longer exists, now come and worship here. Pretty devastating. And this is what the nation of Israel is, and they're in Babylon and they're longing for home. Have you ever felt homesickness? Have you ever been like homesick? They're longing for home, which is Jerusalem, which is where God lives, the temple. Everything in their lives revolves around Jerusalem, and they're not there. And, then, and they're wondering, where is God? Where is God? What is God? Why did God allow this? Questions we ask today. And out of this comes the prophet, and he says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together. You ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Can you hear what's going on there? There's a messenger of good news, bringing a good news announcement. Good news is on its way. What's the good news? God's returning. God's coming back to Jerusalem. God's coming back home. God's coming back to his people. He's not only returning, he's coming and he's reigning. And not only is he reigning, he's redeeming. So even Isaiah did alliteration, right? So when you criticize me for doing three R's or five F, he's done it there. God's returning, God's reigning, and God's ruling. And God, when and redeeming, and when God returns, when God reigns, and when God redeems, there's peace. It's a beautiful Hebrew word called shalom, and it's not just the absence of conflict. It's so much richer. It basically shalom is how God intended the world to be: relational harmony, creation in harmony with mankind, mankind in harmony with God. It's how it's Genesis one and two. That's shalom. 
And he said, when God comes, shalom. When God comes, good times are here. Life is going to be good. And when God comes, salvation, comfort, liberation from bondage, and set free from the things that hold us back. How will God do this? His holy arm, his action, his accomplishments. Nothing really required of us but to sit back and receive this good news. He's going to do it somehow. And so if you know your Bible, you'll know that Isaiah 53 goes into a very significant chapter that is a very messianic chapter about God's holy servants that points to Jesus. And so his holy arm is really his holy servant. He's going to do it. And so the story of Israel is they're looking forward to this holy arm, this holy servant who's going to embody this good news of peace, of good times, of salvation. This was 700 years before Jesus arrived in the scene. That's a long time to wait for a promise from God, isn't it? I mean, I can't even wait seven days sometimes. 700 years passed, more or less, from when this was penned and prophesied and declared. And then we come to the gospel of Jesus. Good news is not just on its way. Good news has arrived. Mark's gospel is the earliest gospel that was written. And Mark begins his gospel in this way. He says the beginning of the gospel, the good news of, about, Jesus, the Messiah. That's a Hebrew word of, we heard it today, means Savior. Jesus is Savior. He is King. He is Lord. He is the Lord's anointed one, the Son of God. And then for the sake of time, Mark goes on to quote Isaiah, a different portion, but he connects Jesus' story with the story. Do you see the continuity of the story? It's not random. Jesus just didn't like, okay, here, let's, let's do this, God. It's all because then Jesus further down the chapter says it's like this. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, gospel of God. The time has come. That sounds like a narrative being played out. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Shalom has come near. The rule, the return, the reign of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so we'll pick up on that a little bit later. But listen to how all these gospels are beginning to get connected. Mark announces the good news, and the good news is about Jesus. It's about Jesus being a Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy One that was anticipated by the people of God to fulfill the story of Israel, fulfill the promises and the longings for God to return, for God to reign, for God to redeem all those beautiful things that the prophet Isaiah and many of the other prophets predicted and promised and prophesied. He's saying Jesus has arrived bringing this good news. He says that the time has come, the rule, the return, the reign, the redemption of God is here and it's connected to me. And so it's an announcement of good news. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And in that time, Caesar is Lord was a common good news announcement. It was very common for people to go around. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. So when the early church began to say Jesus Lord, it was kind of like a little bit of a, not quite a middle finger to the Roman Empire, but it's kind of like, nope, <laughs> there's a new Lord on the scene and his name is Jesus. And so defying the powers that be in that time. In Jesus, God has arrived. God's reign has been reestablished, and God is now redeeming humanity and creation 
um, from the chapter, the Act 2 story of the fall and the rebellion that happened. And so Jesus, if you read the Gospels, his life and his teachings, they all fulfill the story of God. They all talk about what this rule and this reign looks like. The, the values of the kingdom are shockingly different to the values sometimes in our culture. You, you want to be first, be last. You want to get more, give everything away. It's just like it's counterintuitive, and that's the kingdom of God. And it's, it's not dominant. It comes in small, insignificant ways, like a tiny mustard seed, insignificant, but watch it grow and grow and grow. And it's subversive in its hiddenness, if you will. And how is it all achieved? Well, it, it's all achieved somewhere on the culmination of the early church's de- declaration of the good news of the cross. It somehow culminates in his life, his death, resurrection as one author puts it god has entered his skin scarred creation in jesus delivering humanity and all his creation from sin and all its consequences and re-establishing his faithful and loving sovereignty among humanity and all creation all this has already begun through jesus his life his death and his resurrection and all this will one day be completed at his return amen And so we come now back to the gospel, the good news of the cross. And the good news of the cross, the good news of salvation, is that God has brought about a resolution of a cosmic story problem, not just your personal sin problem. Something's fundamentally broken in our cosmos. God created to work a certain way. We rebelled and we fundamentally broke the way that it was supposed to work. But God didn't give up on us. And he came and entered. And through his promise through Israel and through culminating in Jesus, he's setting about to return his cosmos, you and I being the pinnacle of his creation, back to how things always ought to be. And we look forward to the fullness of that in the new creation. And so we reduce the gospel when we make it about Jesus' death is primarily about your sin and my sin. Like how prideful is that to put us at the center of the good news? God is at the center of the good news. Jesus is at the center of you. Now, make no mistake, Jesus is all about you and I, absolutely, but it's part of a much bigger story. And how Paul and, and the rest of the New Testament really describes the good news is God's fixing something in heaven and earth. And God invites a people, the Old Testament people called Israel, now it's called the church. He's inviting a people to be part of that solution about redeeming all parts of creation and humanity. And would you as an individual want to be part of that? Would you want to be part of that? Would you want to be part of that? What we've done, or certainly the message I heard growing up, we flipped that. You're a sinner, Richard. You need a personal relationship with Jesus. God's come and done that for you. Now to full, live that out, you need to be part of a church. And somehow this church is going to work and live in the world. And we look forward to heaven one day. Can you see how that's just reduced and so anemic? And it empties the, the gospel of its bigness, of its power, of its relevance. And I'm not saying personal salvation is a small thing. It's an incredibly big, important thing. But it's in the context of something much bigger going on than just your personal sin problem. Jesus is the resolution, the perfect resolution of a cosmic grand problem. And because he has done that, you and I get to have an invitation into what God is up to. So maybe in summary, as we wrap this up and move it towards some implications for us, if we do need a bigger gospel, which we do, you're going to need a bigger gospel. It's this. It's the good news of God and Jesus. Returning as king, Jesus is Lord. 
that he's reigning on earth through his kingdom. Jesus said himself, the kingdom is near. It's here, not yet in its fullness, but it's here. And redeeming all things through the cross. Your personal salvation and my personal salvation is in the context of God's cosmic plan of redemption and salvation. And so it's good news of a king, a kingdom, and his cross. And so good news intersects with our story and God's story in different ways. And this is the beautiful thing uh, about Jesus and the gospel. There's 8 billion people living on this planet today, and there's different, maybe 8 billion ways that you may come to Jesus. There are many, 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 many ways to Jesus. But Jesus is the way to the Father, to the heart of God. And so some people identify with the cross. They do hear a message about the cross. Many of us heard that message, and so let's not belittle that. Some people are really passionate about the kingdom. They identify the kingdom. They might not call it those words, but right now there's millions of people working for righteousness and justice and peace. Some people are going to the war-torn parts of our world and doing kingdom work, not necessarily calling like that, and long for the things of the kingdom and have kingdom values. And then there are some people are connected to the king. But here's the thing is you can't have the cross or the kingdom without the king. Can't just have your ticket to heaven and live however you want to live. The gospel's just about life after death. It's not. The Bible's all about life on earth and bringing heaven to earth. You can't just have the kingdom and just want social justice without the cross and the king. And you certainly can't have either the cross or the king kingdom without the king. So it's all connected. Now you may enter with one of those things, but your gospel, our gospel, our gospel needs to expand to include the king, his kingdom, and how the gospel of the cross of salvation fits within that kingdom and serves the king. Jesus is Lord. And so good news, it's not good advice. It's not like, well, think about that. That's really interesting today, Richard. Yeah, Jesus, that's really interesting. I'm going to think about that. Certainly Jesus called for a response, demanded a response. Repent and believe is pretty emphatic. It's a command. It's like, what are you, are you, are you, you either embrace this or you don't. There's no middle ground. And so this good news demands a response from us individually and collectively. And so what does it look like for us to become good news people, gospel people? So to come back to salt and light, if we're going to be influencers for good in this world, then this gospel must first be good news to my heart, to your heart. Many of us are Christians here, many of us are followers of Jesus. That's amazing. We praise God for that. But if you had to put a temperature check on your passion of how, how much the good news really is good news to your heart, I wonder where it would be like kind of lukewarm, maybe a bit cold. Maybe it's red hot. That's awesome. We need more of you red hot people. You need to get around more, more of us. But life just has a way of, of wearing and tearing. We just hear bad news, bad news. Or maybe your gospel is so reduced, you're like, what on earth does the gospel have to do with anything in this world or politics or business or how cities should be planned and run and, and how we should think about climate change and, and how does maybe, maybe you grew up with a gospel that says that God's got nothing to do with that. He's all about just your spiritual walk with him. And now they say God has everything to do about that. When you hit the ground running tomorrow at your university, your college, your workplace, God has everything to do about that. God is as much there he is here. We need a bigger, we need a bigger gospel. We need a good news of all parts of life. And so Jesus tells us on three levels what we need to become a good news people. Number one, we need a personal response 
and it's in the words, repent and believe the good news. Repent is just a way to align yourself, to change a way to thinking and to say, actually, this is the way that reality is. The, the story scripture telling is the story of reality. It's not making the Bible relevant to our lives. It's making our lives relevant to the reality of the Bible. That's a different mindset. Repent and believe the good news. Believe this gospel. Believe this gospel of good news. It's in the story of Israel. It's in the story of God that finds its fulfillment in Jesus and continues through the life of his new people called the church made up of you and I. But then I find it very interesting. Straight after that, it's not up on the screen, but the next verses after Jesus says, repent and believe, he does something very significant. He goes and he calls two disciples. Well, they're not disciples yet, but he calls Simon and his brother Andrew, and he says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. So the first thing that Jesus does after proclaiming the good news is he gathers a good news people. He gathers a people around this. So our response is not just personal. Our second response is communal. Come follow me is not your individual response to follow Jesus alone by yourself in your room, kumbaya with your favorite praise and worship and preacher on the TV. Come follow me is a response to follow him with others that are following him. It's another word for church community, spiritual family. Yes, in all its warts, its dysfunction, in all its inconvenience, in everything, Jesus says, come follow me. And by the way, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me with people that you might not get along with at first. And if you read anything of the Gospels, you will see that his disciples did not get along with each other. They were very different, came from very different backgrounds. But somehow they were following this Messiah together. And in following him together, they became more and more like him and eventually changed the known world of their time. Come and follow me with others is his call to us. And so if we're going to embrace this story, we need to also embrace the people of God of this story, the church. And that's the big C church. We need to have a posture of humility and curiosity as we look at God's church that you and I can learn from our Catholic brothers and sisters. We can learn from our Orthodox brothers and sisters. We can learn from the body of Christ that's in the Anglicans, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Wesleyans, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals. There's a big church out there, and we'd be foolish to cut ourselves off and think we're better than a lot of part of the body. So that's the big, big C church. But we also need to follow Jesus in a local community. Maybe this is your community. Maybe God is leading you. Maybe you've been coming here for a few weeks. Maybe you haven't quite leaned in. And I want to encourage you. Hear the words of Jesus. Come follow me with these people. These people are not perfect. right? Get around us any length of time. You realize we're not perfect. But I do believe that we have a heart to follow Jesus as best we can in this city called Toronto. That we have a heart for the city of Toronto. We believe God is doing something in this city. That he's working on the campuses, in the lives of people in this city. And we want to be a part of that. And if that's you, maybe today God is asking you to step, take a further step into community. Then lastly, there's an outward look that God calls us into. If we're going to be good news people, there's a missional component. Jesus said to Andrew and to Simon, and by default to all followers of, of, of Jesus, come and follow me and then I'm going to do something. I will send you out. They were fishermen, so you used it in their language. I'm going to send you out to fish for people. But we could rephrase that. I'm going to send you out to have an impact on people, to gather people, to pull them into this good story, to introduce them to me, the king, and my kingdom, to get them to be a part of God's plan of redemption, of creation, and humanity. It's why we call uh, or define what a disciple is in this church as a following Jesus together 
in community on his mission, that it's a following of Jesus, that it's done together, and then it's done together on his mission to impact the word. And so we're going to go into a time of communion. And so for some of you here, maybe one or two for you, you've never heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus maybe presented in this way. And maybe your response today is for the very first time to repent and to trust in Jesus. And here's the great thing. You do not need to know much more than that. There was a thief dying next to Jesus. And all he knew is there's something about this guy next to me that's different. And can I be with you? And Jesus turned to him, surely you're going to be with me in paradise today. And so we don't need to have a lot of knowledge to be able to turn and trust. We just need to say, God, I trust you. I don't fully all understand it. But that's the rest of your life to figure that out and work it out in community with people. For many of us, we are Christians. God's Jesus words to you is still repent and believe. Repentance is not a one-time thing. What parts of your life are you not fully embracing the good news? What parts of my life am I trusting and looking to other things for salvation? What parts of my life am I looking to other authorities other than Jesus? Maybe myself has become the greater authority in my life than Jesus. That I'm deciding what I'm going to do with my life. I'll decide where I live and work. And maybe Jesus wants to challenge that today and truly become Jesus is Lord of your life and my life again today. However you need to respond today, I implore you to respond. To not miss a moment where you can hear the good news afresh in your life and become a good news people. And we're going to do something very practical throughout this course. We're going to, course, sermon series. You can see I'm a teacher. So students, um, and uh, I, don't, I don't want to get in the details of application. I, I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But I do want to introduce you. We're going to hear more about it. You're going to get a card on the way out today. This is something we introduced many years ago as a church, and we really feel we want to reintroduce this. This is our attempt to help you and I become better fishers for people, to become better being sent out. This is a simple acronym. We're not sponsored by Coca-Cola or Pepsi. Don't worry. Um, it's a simple acronym for you and I to begin to take compassionate but conviction convi steps of conviction towards people who don't know Jesus. That to actually take Jesus' words seriously, to go and be fishers. I'm going to send you out. And we're going to hear more about this, but it's pray. Could you start praying? And, and there's a business card you're going to get. And the one side is the acronym. And then the flip side, there's, there's space for five names, I believe, there. And I would encourage you to take it home. And the first name that you put there is your name. That sounds weird. That sounds self-centered, doesn't it? No, until the gospel is good news to you, it's not going to be good news to the people you tell and so you need to pray. I need to pray. Cry out to God. God, is this gospel good news to me? And if it's not God, I repent. Make it good news to me. Because if it's not good news to me, what am I doing telling it to other people? And I believe God was going to answer that prayer in very profound ways. In our lives, my life, and in your life. And so put your name first. But then as God gives you, and ask God, God, who are the people that I interact with on a regular basis? This is not praying for your family that's back in another part of the world. Continue to pray for them. That's not this. We're trying to pray and engage with people that we see regularly in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our condo building, on the campus, in our high school. We're trying to actually put ourselves in a proximity with people that God might actually want you and I to speak to at some stage or to build a friendship with at some stage. Maybe it's one name at first or maybe it's two or three names. 
begin to write down names. And all our goal is to do is to begin to pray for them. God, I pray for this person. I pray for them. I pray your heart for them, that you created them, whatever it is. And then we'll go on to explain the others throughout this series. But the next step would be just to have a meal with them or a coffee with them. Build a relationship with them. Get to know them. Bless them. Look for ways that you can be a blessing to them. There's different ways uh, people receive and give love, right? So learn their love language if you're familiar with that. So we'll, we'll explain that. And then then as you move down, and, and, and this may take weeks with some people. This may take months with other people. Go at the pace of the Holy Spirit in your relationship. But let's be intentional about this. And eventually get to places where you can connect their story with God's story. Connect them to other people in our church community. Possibly invite them. We've got a Christmas Eve service coming up. Maybe that's the moment to invite them or invite them to your small group or invite them to something that they can begin to respond to Jesus. And so I know that's got a little bit technical and application, but we, we really do want to be a people, a good news people. And so um, as, we, as we transition to a communion moment, I want to, again, just come back to that place of the words of Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. Come and follow me and I will send you out. As we go before his table today, let his words uh, lead you into the right response for you right now. And so, Father, I do thank you um, that you have given us a gospel way bigger and the problems of our earth, and the problems of our earth are really big on an international level, on a national level, and even on a personal level, God. And so would you give us a bigger gospel? Would you help us connect the gospel of salvation of your cross to the story of Jesus, which is connected to the story that Scripture has always been speaking? And may we join this king and his kingdom and become a good news people sent out the people that you love so dearly around us. We ask this in your name and by your spirit and by your path. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.